Good morning and welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as all our campuses join via the video signal and let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us at Celebration Church today. Special welcome to all those in Stevens Point and at our Appleton campus as well. I'm doing a series entitled Losers of the Bible. Now, these guys didn't stay losers. They are some of the greatest men in the history of mankind. But they were at times losers or suffered uh, circumstances that would certainly put them in the loser category. Last uh, week, we talked about Moses. Now, Moses was what we call a late bloomer. It took him 80 years before God finally showed up and used him to deliver the children of Israel. The first 40 years of his life were pretty comfy. He lived as a grandson of Pharaoh, richest family, most powerful family in the world. I'm sure he had the best education, the best food, the best clothing, the best of everything. He knew who he was. He'd been adopted. He was an Israelite. But he lived in the house of Moses, or in Pharaoh. And then when uh, he was 40 years old, he saw an Egyptian mistreating some other Israelites. He steps in, he winds up killing the guy. Well, Pharaoh finds out about it. Now he's in trouble, so he runs for his life. What he thought in his strength and wisdom and arrogance would be a good move, turned out to be a very bad move. He... uh, Acted too early. Sometimes many of us know what that feels like. Instead of waiting, we jump in too soon. That's what happens to him. Anyway, he takes off. Now he's on the backside of the desert for 40 more years, taking care of goats and sheep and stuff and working for his father-in-law. And uh, by the time God shows up, the guy's now 80 years old. He has no confidence. Life has sucked the life out of him. Uh, he's absolutely convinced he can't do it. It wasn't false humility. This guy, he felt like he was a nothing and a nobody. Uh, God says, oh, listen, okay, I'll, I'll send your, your brother Aaron with you. He can do all the talking. Moses didn't do any talking. He stood there with a stick through the whole thing, unlike what you see in the movies. Eventually, Moses does regain his confidence, and everything that was put in him at an early age came out with wisdom, and he became a great leader a great orator, the lawgiver, but started out pretty rough because he had been pretty beat up and certainly felt like he was a uh, loser. I I know they're doing a uh, version of this. This is the next big Bible movie coming out is Moses. Christian Bale, I guess, is is Moses. I doubt Moses ever looked so good. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty boy, Christian Bale. So I was uh, watching... uh, this movie, Persecuted, it's a faith-based film. It's kind of strange film, kind of hard to follow. But uh, went, uh, our good friend uh, uh, Brad Stein is in the movie. And if you know Brad, he's been here several times. Uh, I thought he just had a little 
bit part in the movie. He's one of the main characters in the movie. So he's the whole thing. If nothing else, it's fun to see someone that you know up on the screen, you know. So we went and saw that. And that's when we saw this promo for, for Moses. And of course, they come up with all kinds of crazy theories about what his first 40 years was like. Nobody really knows. Uh, but then, you know, at 80, now he comes back. And I don't know if, doesn't look to me like they got the timeline right. Man, if that's 80, that's a good looking 80, dude. I got to tell you, <laughs> he looked pretty sharp. And he's pretty articulate and stuff. I mean, they just missed it. That's not what Moses was like. I guess to really tell the story, it's a pretty boring movie. But uh, so anyway, now this week, uh, we're going to talk about David. David has the exact opposite experience in life. He starts out in the glory of God. Everything is going well for him. Um, as a young man, I mean, he's a skilled musician, but he's also a real scrapper, and he is fearless. This is a guy who says, you know, a, a, uh, he was watching the sheep, and a bear attacks the sheep. Well, he goes in, and he kills the bear. Another time, a lion is attacking the sheep, and he kills the lion. I got to tell you, if I'm a shepherd, and a lion's killing the sheep, I'm asking, do you want fries with that? You know, because I, I ain't doing jack. But he, you know, eat the sheep, what do I care? But he jumps in and he kills the lion. This, he's a young guy. He's a real scrapper, he's talented, he's a musician, plays the harp. He's a poet, writes, wrote all those psalms in the Bible. I mean, he's quite creative, but yet he is a serious butt kicker. And uh, he's the whole package, this guy. I mean, girls, this guy's got it all. You know, he's got everything going for him. Anyway, as a young man, and really more of a boy, they called him a boy. I, we don't know how old he was. But his dad sends him to the front battle lines to bring supplies for his brothers. So he's not even in the army. He's not old enough. Uh, he shows up, and this is where he sees this big behemoth of a guy named Goliath coming out and challenging the men of Israel to battle. Send one of your guys and we'll go hand to hand and see who's really strongest. Because everybody's freaked out. Except David. David goes, I can take him. And I said, you're crazy. And his brothers are furious at him. You little snot, get out of here. What are you doing? I mean, you have to read it. They're saying stuff like that to him. And, uh, uh, but the word was out, you know, that whoever kills uh, Goliath will get a bunch of money and his family will be exempt from taxes, which only means more money. And then he gets to marry the king's daughter. So he goes, no, no, what happens? He says, well, he gets the money and the girl. And he goes, all right, let me run this by one more time. Tell me again what happens. He actually asks three times. Hilarious. <laughs> you think he's, I'm just doing this for God. No, he's thinking money and the babe is what he's thinking. <laughs> but he's got great confidence. I mean, he's a scrapper. This guy absolutely, he has no fear. And he comes to the king. So I can take that guy. And the king said, you're a punk kid. What are you talking about? You can't. You just have been a fighting man all his life. Uh, but David convinces the king to send him in. Now, there's no way the king thought David could pull this off. There's no way. Why would he send him? They've been standing there for over a month. No one's been able to move. Everybody's afraid of the other army. You know, maybe this will get things going. Sacrifice this punk kid and watch the Goliath cut him to pieces. And maybe our guys will get mad. And Who knows? Anyway, just the king says, okay, go for it. Well, David tries on his armor. He can't even wear the armor. Because <laughs> he's, he's a skinny Puerto Rican like me or something. I don't know. You know? Well, I used to be skinny. I'm not skinny anymore. But anyway, so he uh, just goes out there in his shepherd's clothing. 
and he starts running towards Goliath. Well, Goliath sees this punk kid coming at him, and he's furious. He is so insulted. I thought am I a dog that you'd send this punk kid? I'm going to tear him from limb to limb. So he takes this, and he's going towards David. David comes running at him. Of course, we all know the story, right? David takes the sling, see, and he throws this rock, smacks right in the middle of the head of this behemoth of a man, and knocks him out cold. He drops over. David jumps on top of him, takes his sword, his own guy's own sword, and cuts off his head and holds up the head, which is really gross. All right? Well, all the Israelites went, yeah! And all the Philistines went, ah! And they took off, and they were running after him, and they had this great, glorious victory over uh, the Philistine army that day. Now, David's life is only getting better. Now, everybody loves him. The king loves him. He gets, he gets the girl. He gets the money. He's still really young. But this guy basically becomes, uh, and if you want an interesting part of the Bible to read, you young people, I know parts of the Bible are incredibly boring, but this is, this is great stuff. Because you read about this guy is a fighting machine. He is like Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and uh, Sylvester Stallone and all of them wrapped in one. I mean, this guy, and plus he can sing. You know, he's one good-looking dude. I mean, he's got it all going for him. He can sing. He's a poet. Yet he's this incredible warrior. He's got it all. And nobody can stop him. And, of course, the greatest men of the area are drawn to this guy like a magnet. So he's not only this incredible warrior, but he's surrounded. He's basically a band of 600 men, David's men. And they are unstoppable. No one can stop them. Now, there's no record in the Bible that he was a great tactician. Uh, sometimes people who are greatly overwhelmed did well in battles back then. Remember, there were no guns, there were no nothing. You know, he had arrows, that was about it. Uh, everything was hand-to-hand combat. Uh, but some of these guys were great tacticians, and they knew how to defeat these bigger armies. But it doesn't say that David, he might have been, we don't know. All the indica- indication was that he was just such an incredible warrior, and all the guys with him, that they just killed whoever they were up against. And they just killed him like crazy. Uh, even in horrible circumstances. You know, normally if you have the high ground, you got the advantage, especially in days like that. To this day, it's still true. But you got the high ground in those days. So there's one time David's going along and these guys up on this hill are going, and they're insulting David. These Philistines are, I'm going to kill those guys. So David starts climbing up the side of the hill. So he's climbing up this cliff to go kill those guys. Well, these guys, they're not just waiting for him to get to the top like Princess Bride, you know, hurry up and come up so we can fight. You know what I'm saying? He's probably throwing spears and rocks and he's dodging and stuff and he just keeps going at it. He won't stop. Where is he? He's still coming. Knock him down. He just keeps, finally gets to the top and he kills all of them. This is one tough dude, okay? This is like holy stinking cow. And some of the guys that were with him were tougher than he was. There's several stories where David was by these you know, they're in a situation, and they're going, yeah, 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 to the Philistines, and then they attack, and David and the guys all took off, but one of the guys stayed behind, said, I ain't going anywhere, and one of his guys took out like 800 guys all by himself in one battle. I mean, he, so he had guys that were tougher than he was. He was he, these guys were like, holy stinking cow, all right? Well, he becomes extremely famous in Israel. Everybody loves him, and all the girls are singing the song of the warrior poet. And they have this song that says, Saul, who is the name of the king, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Became a very popular song. Everybody's hearing this song. And of course, Saul hears this 
and he's hacked because he's the king, he's arrogant, he's proud. They're saying, David's getting tens of thousands, I'm only getting thousands. And he becomes jealous of David and turns on David and wants to kill him. So David takes off and he takes his band of merry men and they're on the run. And now who, a guy whose life was nothing but the life of Riley and great, all of a sudden goes to terrible. And he is being chased by this king whom he still respected the entire time. Two or three times he had the chance to kill Saul, but he wouldn't do it. And he wouldn't let his men touch him. So let's kill him. No, he's the king. You got to respect the king. I mean, it's a great story about respecting people who are in authority, even when you disagree with them. Even in this case, when they're trying to kill you. <laughs> so, I mean, it's an amazing story. We won't get into all that. But anyway, so Saul, now it's coming. He's, he's got all the money. He's got all the wealth. He's got the power of the nation with his army against David and his band of merry men. And they're closing in on David. And he has to run. He says, well, let's go hide amongst the Philistines. You remember the Philistines? These are the guy he's been killing for a long time. That was David. Goliath was a Philistine. All this. So the Philistines are not really on David's Christmas card list. And, uh, and they don't like him. And now so David as his last dish effort goes. His life is awful at this point. Running for his life. Says let's go hide out with the Philistines. Well he goes to hide out with the Philistines. But the Philistine king, of course everybody, they recognize him. And so, so, well, this is, isn't this David? Everybody's singing the cool song about? So let's read about it. This is uh, 1 Samuel, the 21st chapter, verse 10. That day David fled from Saul and went to Ashish. He also has other names we'll see in a minute. But uh, uh, went to Ashish, the king of Gath. But in Gath is a city in the, in the Philistines. So the, uh, when the servants of Ashish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? He wasn't the king, but they just assumed he was the king because of his success. He said, isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Even the Philistines knew the song. And when David found out that they knew who he was, the jig was up. Well, he freaks. So he's very much afraid. So in verse 13, it's, so listen, this is what he does. He, he pretends to be insane in their presence. And while he's in their hands, he acted like a madman. <laughs> Marking door, marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. And God knows what else he's doing. All right, now I want you guys to think about this for a minute. Because oftentimes, again, the Bible isn't a collection of stories. As I said, if it was stories, you know, the worst stories on earth because they don't say anything. This is more like a police report. Most of the Bible reads like a police report. This is what happens. That's what happens. So you read this little thing, you just move on. Think this through. You as an adult, you men, if you're an adult man, what would you have to do to convince everybody around you that you are crazy. Now, some of you, it wouldn't take much. All right? <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> but seriously, think this out. What would you have to do? What level of personal humiliation would you have to endure to be perfectly sane, but yet to convince everybody around you you are nuttier than a loon? David is babbling, he's drooling, you know, how is he soiling himself? I mean, what is he doing? I mean, is he covered in cow dung? What would you have to do? I mean, enough that these people came around and said, oh, dude, what is the matter with these? Blah, 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 blah. Hitting his head up against the wall, writing on the wall, he's drooling, and God knows what he smells like, you know. So he 
goes in and this is, I'm telling you, the human, most of us in this room wouldn't do it. You know, kill me. I'm not going to soil myself and go, blah, 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 so you think I'm crazy, okay? <laughs> but David does it. And he does it as his only move to stay alive. It is humiliating. It is embarrassing at a level you can't even begin to comprehend. What would you have to do to prove to everybody around you that you are crazy? Well, David gets the Academy Award on this one because he pulls it off. And in verse 14, Asius, the king, says to his servants, look at the man. He is insane. He's not even alone. Why did you bring him to me? And I love the next verse. He says, am I so short on madmen <laughs> that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? He's carrying on. I mean, who knows what he's doing? Must this man come into my house? So he says, get this idiot away from me. And he takes off. So David pulls it off. Now you would think after this, you are humiliated. You are embarrassed. You're trying to save your life. And you've got to be thinking, where in the world is God? Talk about an opportunity to feel forsaken. An opportunity to feel angry. Are you kidding me? Some of you get mad at God just because your check bounces. Come on. You get mad because something doesn't go your way or the doctor says you got to this or something. Where's God? Ah! I want to jump to Psalm 34. Now, Psalm, these are these poems, these songs that David wrote, this poetic warrior. And he's writing this over his lifetime. And there's various times and there's parts where it'll actually say when he wrote the psalm. Psalm 34 is a very famous psalm. Some of you will recognize it as we start to read just a few verses of it. But I want you to notice something we often skip over because we're not paying that much attention. Look at Psalm 34. Pull that up. It says, this is a psalm of David. When he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, is another name that Asius had, uh, who drove him away and he left. So this is the song he wrote right after he was through this humiliating, embarrassing, horrifying moment of his life. And this is what David writes. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always, the King James says, continually be on my mouth, on my lips. I will glorify in the Lord. Let the afflicted, afflicted hear and rejoice. He should know. And then he says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. A lot of you guys are familiar with this verse. I can't tell you how many Bible or how many church services start out with verse 3. Where at the beginning, someone will read that and say, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let's celebrate God. Now, I know a lot of you think, well, you know, um, people come to church and sing and stuff and they're praising the Lord. It's because everything's good in their lives. Not true. Not true. And in fact, now, if things are good in your life, you certainly should be thankful toward God. But some of the most important times to praise and celebrate God is when your life stinks and everything is going wrong and you're running for your life and you're humiliated and ashamed. And at this moment, he says, glorify the Lord with me. Praise God with me. 
I'm telling you, some of the greatest power, you have no idea, those of you who've never really experienced this, the power of God that will be released in your life if you will learn to praise him in the middle when everything's terrible. When you can stand before God and say, Father, I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your blessings. I thank you that your love never fails. You sing these songs that we were singing together and you sing it and you actually open your mouth and sing, which would be a miracle for some of you. All right? And, and just abs- and actually start to thank God because that is what gets God's attention. When your life stinks and you're still thanking God and he goes, whoa, check this guy out. It's called the power of Praise. Not just when things are good. I know some of you think people come to church because everything's good and the people who sit in the front are, they're really crazy. And these are people, they're just, everything's always good. Now, you don't know. Some of these people have, are going through some terrible experiences in their life. Well, they look so happy. That's because they've learned to praise God in the midst of their troubles. If you can learn to praise, anybody can thank God. Whenever, you know what happens to people who win the lottery? <laughs> Hallelujah! Yes! Thank you, God! you God. Now they might be the most worst heathen on the face of the earth. <laughs> Struggling with a hangover like you cannot believe. And when somebody, they hit the right number, oh praise God, hallelujah, hallelujah. Never been to church in their life, no thank you Jesus. You think that gets God's attention? I don't think so. It's when you're in the midst of despair and everything's going very badly and you go, thank you God for your love and your kindness to me. Whoa. That's what gets God's attention. So David continues now. He's still hanging out with the Philistines and he gets to another part of the Philistines and he hooks up with one of the uh, Philistine rulers in another part. And basically, him and his men offer to become mercenaries for the Philistines. (laughs) Not the way you started out your hopes in life. So now... They say, okay, uh, you guys got to live somewhere, so you, you can have Ziklag. Nobody likes Ziklag. You can have Ziklag. So Ziklag becomes their home base. And their wives and their children and everything, all their possessions are in Ziklag. And him and his 600 butt kickers would go out and they go on these raids and bring back plunder and share it with the Philistines. That's how, how he hung out. Now, they thought, he basically would tell them, well, they say, where'd you go today? Well, we raided those guys over there, part of Israel, and they thought, great, but he never did that. The Bible says he only raided enemies of Israel. So, uh, but they never knew, because, you know, he took extraordinary measures to make sure nobody knew. So he's basically, you know, faking his way through this whole thing. Well, then finally, there's this big battle against Saul and the Philistines, so the Philistines come out with all their soldiers and army. And of course, David and his guys, the mercenaries for the Philistines, they show up for the battle. All right? I don't think they walk like that. But... <laughs> that would be my warriors. All right? You know. so, so they show up for the battle. Well, when they see the, the, the ma- major guys that were leading the battle said, he can't come with us. As soon as we start fighting Saul, he'll turn on us and he'll kill us. Which is exactly what he would have done. You know, you know David would have just stuck it to them all. So the Philistines were smart. No, 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 He can't send him home. And David argued, oh, come on, guys. It's me. <laughs> the Philistines said, no, 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 no. They're So they got to go back. So they got to walk home because the buses were broken that day. So it takes them three days to get back to Ziklag because there's no other types of transportation. So we pick it up at 
chapter 30. All right, now here we go. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now, the Amalekites had, in the meanwhile, had been raiding the Negev and Ziklag, their town. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everything else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. We've all seen scenes like this in movies and stuff back in the day, you know, where the wires are coming and all of a sudden they see smoke rising from where their home should be. Of course, the music changes and the look on their faces and the terror that fills their hearts as they rush in and everything's destroyed. Their loved ones are all killed or taken captive. In this case, they were all taken captive. And this is a bad day. A bad day. As if life couldn't get any worse for these guys. Now it's everything they love is destroyed and everybody they, everybody they loved has been taken captive. And verse 4, now check it out. It says, so David and his men, now check it out. These are the toughest hombres in the world at this time and probably one of the toughest bunch of guys in the history of mankind. These guys, what they pulled off is stunning. These grown warriors, the Bible says, wept aloud until they had no strength to weep. They were emotionally devastated by what they had just experienced. And life was bad. David's two wives had been captured. I don't read their names where they're from. David was greatly distressed, verse 6 says, because the men were talking of stoning him. Now, when the people you're leading want to kill you, this is a bad day for you. All right? And I don't think they're kidding. They have had it. They have put their lot with David. They have bled with David. They have fought with David. They have sacrificed with David. Whatever David did, they did. Wherever he said, they would obey. But now this. And they're thinking this is all his fault. This is all his fault. We ought to take him out and kill him. And David's freaking. This is a bad day for him. He was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one of them were bitter in their spirit because of their sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. We don't have to read it, but what David does now is he, he goes to God in prayer. And his prayer basically is not boo-hoo, why me? His prayer to God is this, is God, if I go get these guys, Will you be with me? God says, go get him. <laughs> so David says to his men who are mad and furious, the Amalekites have come here, they've destroyed everything, they've taken everything from us. Yeah, we know. David looked at him and said, we can sit around and cry like a bunch of girls. Or are we going to do something about it? David said, let's go get them. <laughs> oh, this is so cool. You know, they got to do a good movie of David. You know, the last one was with, what's his name? Richard Gere. You know, it's like me being David. Hello. You know, that was a terrible choice. They need to find somebody who's more like Stallone, you know, Adrian, you know, something. 
and show these bad, they never do. They focus on all the girliest stuff. I don't care. Anyway, I'm sure they'll mess that up too. I hear they're coming out with a version of that. But this, this is cool stuff. David said, let's go get him. So first night we pick it up. So David and the 600 men, they go running after this army. They are greatly outnumbered. Okay. There's probably thousands of them. David's got 600 men. So they got running with them. They came to Besor, the valley, where some stayed behind. Why would they stay behind? Well, 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley. First of all, they cried their guts out till they couldn't cry anymore. Now they go running. They get to the valley. David and 400 guys continued in the pursuit, but 200 of them were too exhausted. They couldn't go. But these 400 other guys said, let's keep going. And they go. And they go. Finally, they get close and they find someone who can show them where this army is and verse 16 it says he led David down and there they were scattered over the countryside eating drinking partying big time because of the great amount of plunder they'd taken from the land of the Philistines from Judah now David had two things going for him at this point the element of surprise and the fact that these guys were probably very drunk which, if you're going to fight somebody, you really want them very, very drunk. All right? So he comes in, and he takes them on. And the Bible says, David fought them from dusk until evening of the next day, a 24-hour battle. Just swords. And he kills all of them. He kills them all. Not one of them got away, except for 400. Now, remember, there were only 400 of them to start with. They wipe out. There's only 400 young guys left. The Bible says these guys rode off on camels. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Woo! And David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else that had been taken. And David brought everything back, back to the fight with Saul and the Philistines. The Philistines killed Saul, finally. And the next day, David becomes the king of Israel. And his reign just starts from there. It's often to think that these guys in the Bible were so blessed and everything went so good for them and they didn't have challenges when in point of fact, at times, everything went terribly wrong for them. And the truth is, not only in the Bible, but in modern times. In fact, I think next week I'm going to show you some of the great successes in life Many of you know who they are, and you'll be stunned at what incredible losers at time they were and the failures that they have. We look at successful people and say, well, gee, they never failed. Not true. The only difference from a loser and successful people is the successful people don't stop after they lose. They just keep going. While others sit around and cry because they've lost everything, the winners look and say, let's go get it back. You have to remember that you and God always make a majority. Jesus said that we would have tough lives. He said, in this world, we'll have tribulation. Well, wait, Pastor, I thought if we believe in Jesus, everything will be great all the time. <laughs> Wish that were true. Why isn't it? I don't know. You can ask God someday. But there's times where everything will go wrong for you. Are you listening to me, you young people? You're 16, you think you're going to live forever. Nothing's going to, I'm telling you, there's going to be days where everything will go wrong. 
Some of you, after years of work, whatever you worked on will collapse. Some of you, despite all the commitment and time you put in, will have a career that will fail. Some of you, sadly, some of you, because of no fault of your own, will have a marriage that will end in a divorce. Kids, despite what you did for them, will go off the rails. Some of you will get very bad news from a doctor, from a banker, from something. The thing is, is you decide now what you will do then. Did you hear me? You decide now for what you're going to do then. If you wait till then to try and sort it out, you'll have a very difficult time. But it's days like today where we say, no matter what, we're going to serve God. No matter what happens to me, I'm making a determination. I'm putting my trust in God. Even if I have to humiliate myself and everything is horrible, my voice is going to raise and say, come and glorify the Lord together with me and celebrate God in your life. It's those moments when God comes in and turns everything around for you. But you have to decide, what are you going to do? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, I know there's people listening to me today in Appleton, Stevens Point here in Green Bay, many on television, who as Christians are suffering great loss, great setbacks, and it's easy to get discouraged. I'm sure David at times was discouraged. We know Moses certainly at times was discouraged. Some of the greatest men in the Bible were at times terribly discouraged. But Lord, they learned something. And that is that they can trust in you in the midst of trouble. And that's when God shows up. It would be great if we just showed up when things were always going good. (laughs) But quite frankly, your word teaches us that it's in trouble that you oftentimes show up. Help us not to lose faith. Those that might be discouraged this morning, encourage them, I pray. And help us to realize that with you, anything is possible. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen.